Welcome back to episode 11 of the Camera Shack Podcast. Um, Today, we will be uh, talking about film, some film photography. Um, We will also not be hopefully breathing into the microphone this time. (laughs) I'm holding it off to the side, so I'm hoping that's going to uh, do a little something. Um, You may have noticed, if you're an avid listener of the podcast, uh, which you're probably not, that uh, there's no music in last week's, last week's, yesterday, last episode. Um, this will be released the same day. There's no music. Um, and uh, my good friend, Matt, he has uh, advised me to drop the music. And while I actually completely disagree with him on a personal level, I, I actually like the music um, over the actual like main track of it. I think on a uh, on a professionalism point, I think he's right. So, at the very least, maybe I'll try some episodes with no music. Maybe I'll go back to music. I don't know. Who cares? Living the dream. Um. Anyways, let's uh let's get into it. So, basically. I was at uh, Dodds. If you remember from last episode, uh, we went out and we shot the Water Lantern Festival. And uh, I had rented a lens from Dodds. So while I was at Dodds, renting that lens, um, returning it, actually, um, I noticed that they had some film cameras for sale. Like a little, a little shelf, some film cameras for sale. And so... You know, I just uh, <laughs> just uh, went for it. I bought a Canon AE-1. It is a 35mm film camera. And while I was there, I picked up a roll of uh, 24 exposure Ilford 400 black and white film. If you're unfamiliar, 400 is the... I, I guess it's technically if this film is ASA, I believe, where I think ISO is a is a digital calculation of the amount of light that's captured by the film, where ASA is the I, who who cares? Four hundred ISO. We'll say four hundred ISO. Um, and I also it, it's I, I I got a lens with it. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's it's a uh, ooh. Uh, we'll just, uh, we'll just, we'll just lie. We'll just say it's, uh, 35, it's 35-ish to 105-ish. I think it's 105. Is it 35 to 105? Eh, something like that. It's a zoom lens. And it's, uh, F3.5. Um, I guess all the way through. I don't actually think it's 3.5 all the way through. But yeah, the, the the lens of course has a manual um, aperture ring, so you have to manually change the aperture, and it's manual focus, no uh, auto focus on this bad boy. And yeah, so I went around and uh, shot a few, twenty four, twenty four, probably twenty four, um, maybe twenty three exposures with the camera. Um, so the the first picture was at Dodds. Um, and then we just kind of went from there. 
Um, once again, if you would like to view the photos, you can go to uh, loganricker.com and uh, just uh, go to the albums and select film roll number one. Or, if, or any of the albums, really. Um, but I would say, overall, not that the photos aren't terrible. I, I was uh, kind of worried that, that uh, they would look awful. And they don't. Um, it was a little difficult to get used to um, actually shooting. So the way the um, the light metering works, you can use an app like on your phone. But with the Canon A1, there's a built-in light meter. So basically you, you just point the camera at whatever and you half push the shutter. Um, and then on the right-hand side of the viewfinder, there, well, so it uses an a optical viewfinder. And when you do that, it basically somehow calculates the um, aperture that your camera should be set to. So by well, so the camera supports up to one over one thousand for the shutter. So you can change the shutter, and it starts at one over one thousand, and it goes down to I think two seconds. So one over a thousand, one over five hundred, one over two hundred fifty, blah blah blah. So whatever you set that shutter speed to, when you have push the shutter button it will tell you the approximate aperture that should be set in order to get a good, a, a well-exposed photo. I don't know where it's going with that, but there you go. The more you know. Anyways, uh, so it's a little tricky to kind of get used to um, properly exposing. I will say, uh, as far as I can tell, all of my shots appear to honestly be exposed the way I wanted them to be exposed. Um, so I guess there's that. Um, I would say that, uh, it definitely has a lot of dynamic range in the highlights. Um, so even trying to expose for the shadows, I felt like the sky was never overexposed. Um, in fact, I would say I always, at least of the first roll, everything I thought the, the shadows were usually a little bit crushed. A little bit underexposed. Um, I really feel like it, they, they don't turn out like you would expect them to when you take the photo. Um, it's really hard to visualize in your mind what it, this photo will look like in black and white when you take the photo. Um, now, I, I, I want to take a little detour here and explain why I did black and white, with at least with the first roll here. And that's primarily cost. Um, it is incredibly un uh, economical <laughs> to take color photos um, without a lot of time and energy. So how it works is with black and white, um, you can buy 36 exposure film for 35 millimeter cameras for about $8. Okay, which, which is kind of expensive. <laughs> um, but there you go, eight dollars. And so then you have two options. You can either develop it yourself or you can go to a ship it off to like a film lab or take it to a film lab and have them develop it. Um, option number two is to develop it yourself. So if you mill it off to in this case with the first roll, I milled it off to the dark room. So the dark room, I believe, all said and done, it was like twenty one dollars. 
with the shipping, the tax, and everything to send them one role and have them develop it. So is I think if you sent in like three roles at once, it ends up being like ten dollars a roll on average. I think something like that, which isn't once again, it's not too bad. Um, but then once you also apply that that you spent eight dollars on the roll, now you're at like twenty bucks for thirty six exposures, um, which is approaching one dollar per photo, right? Which which is pretty expensive. Um, I will say it's cheaper than Polaroids. So if you bought a box of 600 Polaroid, um, that's going to cost you $2, even sometimes a little more than $2 per photo. So it's, it's, it's actually the cheapest film, the cheapest way to shoot film photos, crazy enough, even if you send off and get developed. Um, if you do option two... Um, you can develop yourself and it's actually like ultra cheap to develop yourself once you pay the initial startup cost. So you have to buy two ish, sometimes three, depends on how fancy you want to get. We'll just say two um, types of chemicals. You have to buy a developer and then you have to buy a bottle of fixer and you can buy, so you can buy like powdered fixer, or powder developer, or you can buy just developer liquid. If you buy a powder developer, you have to like put it in a gallon jug and mix it somehow. I just bought Ilford developer that's already just in the bottle, and then liquid fixer that's already just in the bottle. That's by Ilford as well because I was developing Ilford film, and I'd probably be just doing all Ilford film. Um, this was roll two and on, I should mention. Roll two and on, I developed it myself. Roll one, I sent it to the darkroom. Um, so the, the Ilfa developer, I believe was $15. I may be lying. One of the developer or the fixer was $15. And the other one was $9. I don't know which one was, but one of them was 15 one of them was 10 So that's 25 bucks, Um, which is about the same cost as developing one roll of film. <laughs> so, and... You also need a tank, a developer tank, but that's a static fee. I think that was like uh, maybe $40. I don't remember. I think it was like $40. It may have been cheaper. Um, but if you ignore that cost, we'll just say the fixer. But the fixer and developer, I mean, you could probably uh, – I don't know the exact amount. Uh, but once again, you can – so the fixer, allegedly, you can keep reusing up to like two or three months. Um, and the developer, allegedly, you can reuse within the same session, I think, for like four or five rolls. So, you know, if, if you're doing like three rolls of film, um, every time you use the developer and the fixer for like however long, you could probably get, you could probably do it like 15, 20 times, I bet, um, 15, 20 sessions. Right, so I mean, it's basically it's incredibly cheap. Um, the only annoying part is the time, right? So it it probably takes off the top. We'll just say fifteen minutes, right? Including putting, so you have to unroll the film in a dark room, like a room that's dark, not a dark room, but a room that's dark. Um, you unroll the film onto a reel, um, then you put it in the tank. And then that's it. So you just, then you just go out of the, the room that's dark into anywhere 
and then you just you pour in the developer. You shake it around for however long, six minutes. Um, you dump it out. You pour in water. You shake it around, pour it out. You pour in the fixer. Shake it around for like, I think it's three minutes. I don't remember off the top of my head. I think it's three minutes. Shake it around, dump it out. Um, and then you can pour in water. You can pour in water or you can pour in water plus a this other solution. And shake it around. That other solution basically makes it, if you have like really hard water, if you're not using like distilled water, it makes it so the water doesn't leave water spots. And then you can dump it out. Um, and then, bam, you have a uh, developed film. And so then all I got to do is just scan it in. And uh, sending it off to like the darkroom is definitely a lot better. Let's just say easier. But a lot more time. Because it takes probably... I think it was like a week, if not longer, to actually get them. Once once I sent it off, once I milled it off, it took I probably at least a week, if not longer, for them to post the scan photos. Where if you do it yourself, it takes like 15 minutes. Bam, you have the scan photos. Now I will say the uh, the downside here though is if you scan them yourself, I'm not really using I'm using that stupid Kodak film scanner thing. Uh, because I got it for free. <laughs> um, it doesn't do a great job. Uh, just FYI. Review, negative. But it gets the job done for free. What can I say? <laughs> and there's not the the next the alternative. Incredibly expensive. A lot more time consuming. Which is basically a uh, some kind of scan, like printer scanner. And you have to like cut up your negatives. You got to stick them in. You got to scan them. It's like way more time to scan it where scanning with the Kodak thing you just stick it through bam stick bam you know push bam push bam push bam you know it's it's pretty quick so and who who cares um the other kind of bad thing is 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 it doesn't really add a lot of contrast to the photo so you have to really push it so that you get you know your blacks look black your white looks white if you don't do that then it looks like it looks very gray so um yeah overall review um kind of sucks <laughs> but what what can i say um hmm yeah uh i prefer my actual you know r series canon camera <laughs> it's uh much better than the a1 i don't i don't know what to tell you in that one um it's, it's kind of cool, I guess. Uh, I found... So I have a, an app called uh, Hipstermatic X on my phone. Um, and basically it takes... You, you just uses your your camera on your phone and you take the photo. And it looks like... Basically it makes it look like a Polaroid picture. Um, and I found that I actually like the results of that better than the film camera. And the film camera is like way more inconvenient to use. Um, and carry around, it's bulky and everything, so, I don't know, I guess, to each their own, so. If you haven't already, check me out on Instagram, at the Logan R. I would really appreciate it if you could check out some of the photos, maybe like a few, and give me a follow. It would really mean a lot. 
Now back to the episode. And we're back with another little segment here. So uh, I just wanted to briefly talk about a canon rumor. (laughs) The canon EOS R6 Mark II. Um, October the 13th. This is the 21st of October. The 13th. Uh, Canon Rumors uh, leaked out the, quote, surefire specifications uh, for the R6 Mark II. And uh, so we're going to get a uh, 24 megapixel full frame sensor. Um, let's see, dual focus, in by stabilization, digital tongue converter, 12 FPS mechanical, blah, 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 blah. 4K 30 FPS, no crop. 4K 60 FPS with a 1.1 times crop. Uh, C-Log 3, um, dual SD card slot. And, uh, basically the same four factor as the original R6. So, not really too crazy of an upgrade um it seems pretty similar so the i think we get a few more megapixels but other than that it's basically the same camera but i if i had to guess the one nice upgrade from this is that we will probably see no record limit so the r5 the r6 the r all have a 30-minute record time limit. But I believe shortly after the R5 was released is when that time limit thing got basically kicked to the curb. Um, so I, I I believe the the new, like the R7, the R10, all have, the R, I think the C70, all have no record time limits. And so I think... I think that'd be a really great advantage to getting, you know, getting something like that. Now the question is, will I get an R6 Mark II? The the answer is, uh, not when it comes out at the very least. So I I currently have a Canon R, and I would, you know, the so I I I've owned the R6, um, but I've since sold it, um, and so I know I own the R right now, and I will say the uh, the R6 is uh quite a bit nicer the r is a nice camera but the r6 is quite a bit nicer um in that it it has the r seems to have have a few quirks with it that i don't really like and i haven't really found a good way to to overcome them and like so for instance one of them i don't know if someone knows how to fix this let me know but if you try to change the iso right i prefer the iso to be on the wheel on the top that you spin around and there's no way that I have found the menus to make it so that I can just scroll that wheel and it changes the ISO. I have to first half push the shutter in order to make it go back in like activation mode or whatever, like active mode, and then change the ISO. And it's really annoying. I want to just change the ISO whenever I want. What's up with that? Um, so that's something that's super annoying. Um, and it doesn't have the thumb wheel either that you can turn around. 
So normally I set the aperture to that wheel. Um, so with your right thumb, it goes on the, the little wheel at the, you know, at the, at the base of the body. Um, so on my R, I have to, ha I, I set the control wheel on the, on the lens to change the aperture, which I don't like. I like it to just be where my thumb is. Um, that's my preferred place. I, I usually never really change the aperture, so it's not really that big of a deal. Um, what is a big deal, though, is the ISO. Not being able to just change the ISO. I have to, like, half push the shutter. That's super annoying. So, there's that. I, I think, if anything, I, if I could find an R6 used for about the same price as an R, um, once the R6 Mark II comes out, I think that would be a much more compelling upgrade to me um, than the R6 Mark II. But I will say the original reason that I went with the R instead of the R6, in this case when I bought the R, was because of the in-bias stabilization, or that their lack thereof. Because the R doesn't have the IBIS, uh, I went with the R instead because I had a uh, uh, just a crazy amount of issues with the R6 IBIS when recording video. The IBIS is amazing when taking photo, but when taking video, it's, it's uh, atrocious. Um, so basically, if you're not at 50 millimeters, like if you're under 50 millimeters, your shot, there's like a 50% chance, if not more, that your shot is basically unusable. Um, and that's not even a joke. Um, and it's because the wobble, the wobble is insane. And so they released an update pretty recently, uh, at least for the R5, that you know supposedly incredibly fixed a lot. Like it made it way better. Um, but I don't think I didn't see that was back poured to the R6. I just saw it that was just for the R5. So. I mean, if, if that update is also available for the R6 and the IBIS wobble is significantly fixed in the R6, um, and I could find an R6 used, original used, for roughly the same price as, you know, as an R or, you know, right around there. You know, if I could sell my R and then if like three extra, you know, $300 more, I could buy an R6 used or something like that, then I would be a lot more inclined. But, I, you know... At that point, it it you know it'd be, it'd have to be about eighteen hundred dollars. I I think even used once the R six Mark II comes out, you'll probably be hard pressed to find um, an R for that price. But you never know. You know, I'll, I'll definitely look, but I highly doubt I'll find it. Um, but uh, yeah, those are my uh, my thoughts on the uh, R six Mark II. So. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'd really like to try and grow the podcast a lot more. If you haven't already, check me out on Instagram at TheLoganR. And until next time, thanks. Thanks.